I call this child Hopfrog. Oh, we were thinking Brian, but okay. okay. <laughs> I, I, I literally cannot imagine any way that this ends with the king looking better than he does right now. Your Majesty, why don't you and the seven most important people in the kingdom dress up like orangutans? <laughs> I'm simply Hopfrog the Jester, and this is my last jest. Drops Mike, <laughs> leaves Kingdom. Greetings, traveller. <laughs> Welcome to the Shark Live Royal Halloween Spooky Special. I'm it's Matt. It's a spooky special. <laughs> I'm Matt. <laughs> I'm Dave. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That evil laugh was so good that it made me do a delighted laugh, which I realise is not on <laughs> brand for this podcast. Shall I try again? <laughs> try again. Alright. I'm Dave. <laughs> Every year we do this, um, not just the comedy laughs, but the Halloween spooky special, which is... Uh, we've take, we're taking a break from... At the moment we're in the middle of doing Treasure Island, but because Halloween's come round, we're taking a break from that, and we're doing a... Spooky story. Last year, we did One Day at Horrorland from the Goosebumps range. <laughs> it's <laughs> a classic, Matt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, the writing was frightening, but for not necessarily the right reasons. But this year, we're going back to the back to the well that is Edgar Allan Poe. We did um, the Massacre of the Red Death a while back, and we enjoyed it so much. We thought we'd do another short story um, from the Poe collection. This one's called Hop Frog. Hop Frog. You can say it in as sepulchral a tone as you like, Matt. There's no way you're making either the word hop or the word frog sound like scary. That's, yeah, that's not no. the way those words work. No, I suppose not. But it's a scarier tale than the name suggests. If you haven't read it, um, it won't take you long. If you just uh, want to go away and have a quick read, it's, uh, it's only about three or four pages. Um, lovely short story, lovely. Well, but, lovely. <laughs> we'll see about that. Is um, that the word we're going for then? <laughs> but yeah, a macabre uh, short story um, from the Edgar Allan Poe collection. Obviously famous for his spooky, spooky tales. Um, did yeah. you know anything about this story before you read it, Dave? I did not, and you would think that I'd be more well-read than that, because particularly because Edgar Allan Poe stories are all about eight words long each. Like <laughs> you could get through probably his entire oeuvre of short stories in, you know, on kind of a spooky evening, mm. and I have yet to do that. No. <laughs> so uh, once again, I'm, I, but I'm claiming I'm doing it for the listeners, Matt. I'm doing it for the listeners. I'm maintaining mm. my ignorance so that I can go through the story for the first time, rather than because I'm a fundamentally lazy human being. But what about you? <laughs> Well, no, I came to this for the first time as well, actually. I just thought it was an interesting-looking title, so um, that was the entire reason for picking it. But um, we'll see. <laughs> it and, and, and then I had to read through, and I thought it might make a good good material for a podcast. So, Hot Frog, written in the mid-19th century by Edgar Allan Poe. Um, we start off, and we're at this king's court, and this king is a fat, oily man who loves a joke. Um so much so that his seven ministers, his seven closest advisors, are all jokers too. Um, the, Edgar Allan Poe makes this very early uh, observation that he thinks that pretty much all fat people are quite jolly, which is something that is like in the popular <laughs> consciousness people say these days anyway, which is a bit weird. Yeah. Yeah, so is this the origin of that particular social meme? Like, before this, were fat people seen as, you know, being a little bit 
little bit concerning you know maybe you should maybe you should you know do a bit walk around the block once or twice you know i'm concerned for you yeah and now Edgar Allan Poe has turned them into figures of fun <laughs> well i was thinking maybe especially years ago if you were lucky enough to be fat when it was you know <laughs> a struggle to to survive day to day i suppose you would be more predisposed to be quite jolly because you've got quite an easy <laughs> life so, <laughs> so actually, the stereotype of the jolly fat man is actually, un- underneath that, is the stereotype of the jolly gloating man. The man who's, like, so well off that he can afford to be, like, openly jocular about it in your face. Yeah. Like, loads of money with a smile and a twinkle. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, I'd eat another pie. I've certainly got the cash. <laughs> yeah, it might be a bit like how fashions change when, you know... Um, People, people are often seen a lot more. Um, people who are like quite overweight were seen as really attractive um, centuries ago as well, because it was a sign of being, you know, well off and comfortable. And if you were really skinny, you just it was unattractive because it suggested that you couldn't feed yourself properly. Um, There's an Alan Partridge TV show in that sort of some- yeah. <laughs> jo- Joker shapes. Yeah. Now this king who loves a joke and he's and he's. Uh, and his ministers, uh, he's described as liking jokes, the jokes he likes, he likes breadth rather than wit. Um, so he likes practical jokes and like slapstick. Basically, if it had been alive now, it'd it'd, it'd be well up for a bit of Mrs. Brown's boys. Is that kind that kind of um, jokes is what he's into? Well, I was going to say actually, not so much Mrs. Brown's boys, but um, but the, the description of this character to this point is basically Roy Chubby Brown with a crown on, isn't he? King <laughs> King Roy Chubby Brown. Yeah, it really is, yeah, <laughs> it really is. And I tell you, the thing that I noticed as well about the description of his sense of humour, it was really interesting. It was like I wonder if Edgar Allan Poe was a sort of you know, like a sketch writer or something, like in his in his in his day work um, on Saturday Night Live 150 years ago or something. I don't know, um, but because um, it describes him as being a man who's like willing to wait for for a really broad joke, mm. like he he'll like he'll put up with a really really long setup in order to get a really really crude punchline. <laughs> and. Um, and, and and I don't know if you if you remember Matt a car journey that you and I once took um, <laughs> across North Wales, mm. which took several hours. And in my memory, the first third of it was taken up with you telling two really really long <laughs> jokes, like yeah, unutterably yeah. long, which we should almost do as a shark cage at some point. I think <laughs> just because. <laughs> It was. I mean, and I'll tell you, you stuck the landing as well. It was you. You absolutely nailed it. And it was, for some reason, <laughs> this this description really reminded me of that car journey. Yeah, that was our trip. We um we tried to climb uh, Snowdon, um, and I was wearing tennis shoes, and we we only we only got three quarters of the way up, and then we started slipping down because it was so icy. So the entire journey was effectively one long joke with a punchline at the end as well, <laughs> with, a, with a very broad punchline. Yeah. It was. We got three quarters of the way to a headline idiots die on icy mountain and instead ended up doing chuckle brothers sliding back down the hill oh, on yeah. our slippery shoes yeah. on your slippery shoes i was wearing boots and i'll stand on that <laughs> um yeah the, the, the king he um his favorite joke really he has this um fool all that as was the fashion at the time courts had these jesters court jesters but his jester is a dwarf and not only that the dwarf is a um, is disabled as well. He's described as a cripple. He, he can't walk properly. So this um, is is the 
for the king the greatest thing ever because he can laugh at him for three reasons he's a fool he's a dwarf and he's a cripple so that's the kind of sense of humor that the king has that's quite illustrative and, of what, he, what what we mean by yeah. breadth when he likes jokes <laughs> right and the people of the king rejoiced quietly saying <laughs> oh my god how long is this one going to live <laughs> you imagine supreme executive authority being lodged with somebody who think it's thinks it's the height of comedy to laugh at somebody for two different medical conditions. Oh, I can imagine and the it, fact Dave. that they've got a silly hat on. I can imagine it. It's not hard to imagine these days at all. That's, yeah, that's um, true. That's n- true. No, his um, his his jester is called Hop Frog, and uh, obviously where the name of the story gets its name from. And um, this is quite this the quite like quite observation here from Poe. Um, he doesn't think it was his birth name, Hop Frog. It was uh, it was given to him by the king. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Edgar Allan Poe in this, in his first little bit, is turning out to be something of a kind, he's quite an arch, catty kind of social commentator in a way that I really wasn't expecting from the gothic horror master. (laughs) And he's a bit, I mean, he is that for sure, certainly by the end of the story, that's where he's got to. But right now he's more like Stephen Fry. You know, he's kind of a bit gossipy, a little bit knockabout, a little bit arch. (laughs) I love the idea of them, them actually calling him Hop Frog at birst. And I call this child Hop Frog. Well, we were thinking Brian, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> you just, that's, that's one which Dad did not clear with Mum before the paperwork was filled in. And she's just like, you've called him what? Yeah. Hop Frog? Hop, you better hope he's a long jumper, son, otherwise you're in trouble. <laughs> Now, he's he, he sort of kept around the course, as we say, for the king's amusement and to make him feel good about himself, the king, basically. Um, Hot Frog because can't... being king wasn't enough. Yeah. Hot Frog can't walk, but he's got these super... It's sort of, to compensate, he's got these super powerful arms, so he's built, but he's just... He can't walk. So I just imagine Absolutely this... Absolutely stacked. Yeah, guy with little legs, but he's got, like, these absolute beastly, like, four, like, massive arms, like Schwarzenegger or something. Um, <laughs> that's a brilliant image I'm just now imagining <laughs> Peter Dinklage but ripped is yeah. what I'm imagining now and to be honest to be honest fair play although <laughs> although there is a bit of me that when somebody is, is described in very very specific physical terms this early in a short story I do wonder a bit whether it might come up later on in the story <laughs> yeah know? yeah um, Chekhov's ripped arms. Chekhov's <laughs> swole is what we're going to call that. Chekhov's yeah. swole. Um, he's he's been he was carried off from home. He's basically a slave. He was captured and carried away from his home far away, um, back in the day. And um, he was also at the same time this dwarf called Tripetta was also captured. And she's described as being very beautiful, um, but obviously a, a dwarf. So we've got two dwarves. One very ugly. One very beautiful. And um, he, him, and him and Trippetta are, are, are very close as well. They're very close friends. They try and look after each other. Now, there's this big party coming up, and Dave, it's a masquerade. And as we know from the Mask of the hey. Red Death, they always go off with a bang. <laughs> In an Edgar Allan Poe story, that is exactly how they go off. Yeah, yeah. Masquerade is basically um, sort of code for, oh, it's on. So <laughs> we don't know what's on, but it's on. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. This this party just got masked. 
Yeah, so it's all going to be fancy dress, and everyone's had their fancy dress uh, ideas ready months in advance. I assume someone's got his Red Death costume being painted as he, uh, as we speak. <laughs> can, can you imagine if this happened in the same in the same kingdom? And last year they had a masquerade ball where the mask of the Red Death situation went down, and there was this like horrific, horrific kind of slaughter. And then the next year, the king's like, the new king who's come in and he's an absolute winner by comparison with the last one. He's like, all right, well, now that, now that plague's died down, um, what, what do you all think about another masquerade ball? And everybody just looks at each other, just sideways glances and like, are we still an absolute monarchy? Did we not deal with that last time out? Because if we are, we're, we're going to have to go along with this and I'm not keen. I am not keen. Yeah. And the king and his, his advisors can't decide what to, how to dress. So they send for Hopfrog, and they want him to like give them an idea. And before that, the king can't resist just uh, like humiliating him and winding him up a bit because they're all drinking. And Hopfrog hates drink um, because he, he basically, whenever he drinks a bit, he gets really drunk. So the um, yeah. the king sort of shoves some wine in his face and says, "Drink this," and makes him drink it, and makes him toast to absent friends as well, um, just to sort of pick at the scab of his sort of tragic backstory, where I assume a lot of his friends were killed. And Toprog gets quite teary at this, and the king loves it. Yeah. Still, just a chance to show how cruel again the king is. He is, and again, it's a masterpiece of you know three pencil strokes, and he's constructed him as an as well. Let's put it this way. The kind of person who, until recently, I would find it very difficult to believe could be in control of a country. Mm. Uh, but then I read a few history books and the news. Mm. So now I find it very easy to believe that, uh, that, that a king like this would get his kicks from somebody like this yeah. again and again and again. Yeah, now, um, unsurprisingly, after be- having this sort of think-of-a-costume idea thrust upon him, followed by a couple of glasses of really strong wine, Hopfrog can't think of an idea. So the king tries to force him to drink more. And um, yeah. it's, it looks so cruel that um, Trippetta tries to intervene. She begs the king to stop. And the king's so angry that she even speaks that he throws the goblet of wine in her face. And then everything goes silent, and you can just hear this... Which is the sound of, it turns out, Hop Frog grinding his teeth in anger. Um, the description of that, though, Matt, I tell you what, this is this is type A Victorian Gothic writing, isn't it? Where mm. he's just describes something weird that you can't that you you just can't possibly even conjecture or try to understand, mm. and just it's so good at creating that kind of eerie feeling. Even though the way he describes it is he basically says, it sounds like there was a massive parrot outside <laughs> sharpening its beak on the, on the bars of yeah. its cage. Like, all right. I will now imagine a parrot the size of a castle and try and stay in a vaguely horrified mindset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Hot Frog says, oh, no, look at my teeth. They're really horrible. It's like, oh, it couldn't have been me grinding my teeth. Um, it must be some noise outside. And the, the king believes this. Um but Hot Frog says, while you were throwing that drink in my friend's face, I had an idea um, for your costume. And the king's like, oh, interesting. Tell me. <laughs> the king's like openly credulous in response to somebody that he's just humiliated about eight different times in a 30-second period. Yeah. But, mm, I'm not sure he's going to be king for very long, Matt. <laughs> it's great because I've got an idea, but it needs eight participants. And the king goes, wait a minute. <laughs> There's me and these seven guys. That's the perfect number. 
almost see Hot Frog going, by George, you're right. Good heavens, your magic. Well, we'd better definitely get you involved in this one. Toot sweet. <laughs> and he says, it's called the eight-chained orangutan. <laughs> <laughs> And at that point, you read it, and I don't know about you, but I was just like, I, I, I literally cannot imagine any way that this ends with the king looking better than he does right now. Your Majesty, why don't you and the seven most important people in the kingdom dress up like orangutans? For the yeah. lols. <laughs> The king's bang up for it as well. The um, yeah, the, 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 the title for me, yeah, because it, obviously, because it's such an obvious, like the title suggests that something bad's going to happen. So clearly, it made me think of that um, series one Blackadder, where the Blackadder's trying to assassinate this guy, and he tries to do it by getting him involved in a play. And he goes, "I want you to be involved in a play. It's called <laughs> The Death of the Pharaoh." In which you play the pharaoh. <laughs> the guy's like, is, yeah. the guy's like, oh, well, I'm not much of an actor. Because like, there may not be much acting required. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the king loves this idea because he thinks bursting in with his eight, with seven friends dressed as orangutans, is going to terrify the guests, especially the women. Not, not, not only. And he's keen. Yeah. Yeah. Not only does he like to bait the disabled, he's also a misogynist. Um, yeah, so yeah. we can't wait to, to, to put the wind up the women. And um, what what it is, the idea is that these orangutans are going to be escaped from, effectively escaped from the zoo, escaped from their keepers, and that's why they've got the chain on. And they're going to just mm. run around the room, terrifying everybody. Um, not many people, he says not many people have seen an orangutan before, so it doesn't have to be a particularly convincing disguise. Um. <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's a fairly broad uh, interpretation of the idea of an orangutan. Although give Poe his credit, he didn't just say, "Oh, it happens somewhere in the world." He does identify them as coming from Borneo, which I I yeah. really like. Like I like I like a, a well researched, factually copper bottomed ridiculous prank like, I'll, I'll go for that all day long yeah now the, the disguise the way they're going to make them look like orangutans they're going to cover them in tar and then throw a lot of flax on them both of which are extremely flammable which we'll get to later yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I did think that at this point although and i i was skim reading it because i'm the fundamentally lazy human being as we've said and um uh I missed the bit where they're sort of wearing kind of all-in-one body stockings that they put the tar onto. Yeah. So so I was, I, for the first thing, I was like, oh, he's overplayed his hand here, I think. His first thing is to say, your majesty, I'll dress you up as an orangutan. The first step is that we tar and feather you. And I was like, I think everybody knows that that's not going to end well. Like, I feel like you've you've gone too far. But no. He's smarter than that. Hmm. He's 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 clearly put some thought, possibly in a re- recreational after-hours dungeon type of a way, into how to tar and feather somebody in a sustainable way. <laughs> and actually, I found that quite pleasing. Yeah. Now, um, so so they so they they dress them like that, and they're going to chain them as well. In terms of where this party is being held, it's a big party hall with one massive skylight, basically. Um, I love the way he always describes his venues. He's, he's got a real eye for the interior design, Poe. So this party hall's just a massive hall, enormous yeah. skylight above, and normally there's a giant chandelier on a chain that lights the place. But um, Hot Frog says, we've got to get rid of that for the party because the wax will drip on everybody and they'll hate it. So um, they remove the chandelier, just leave the chain there, 
Just just leave the chain there, lads. Don't worry about that. Hot frog. Don't worry about the chains. <laughs> and then they put a load of torches around the edge of the room to light it instead. Um, yeah. 60, it's told. Anyway, midnight arrives. This is uh, Poe's favourite time, isn't it? This is the time that the raven yeah. shows up um, in the Poe and the Raven. It's the time that the Red, Red Death shows up at the Masquerade Ball and the Mask of the Red Death. Um, yeah. It, it, it uses midnight quite a lot. And this is when... It the, is also... Can, can we note, it is also a slightly weird time for the host of the party to be absent until. You know, like, this is the king's do, right? And it strikes me as the sort of king that loves sitting on a throne with a comb over, saying, you all come to me, I'm fantastic, you know. And yeah. and now he's totally absent for what has to be the bulk of the party. And I wonder if everybody's sitting around going, I wonder where the king is. It's been yeah. weird, isn't it? But yeah, I, I suppose that... he's dead. <laughs> That I suppose he might like the idea of everyone going, oh, I wonder where the king is. Or, or maybe he's shown up for a bit and then snuck off to get his, uh, to yeah, get, it could to be. get his hi, costume. Hi, hi, welcome. Hi, great to see you. Lovely. Anyway, I've got to go for other reasons, but I'll just be, I'll be back really quick. I'm sure you'll see me. <laughs> now, they, 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 um, they arrive, they burst in as these orangutans. Um, the king gets out, gets the um, gets people, gets these sort of servants to bar the doors so no one can get out, and it's just pandemonium. Everyone's going crazy, terrified with these things running around. Um, <laughs> the one time in the entire story that the king shows even a flicker of intelligence is here because he's had the foresight to not allow anyone to bring weapons in. <laughs> <laughs> get shot otherwise. <laughs> now, until this point, I had thought that this was every everything I was reading about this because there is a strong flavour of Game of Thrones kind of hanging over this, as there is in basically everything I read at the moment because he spent so long in the Song of Ice and Fire universe. Yeah. Um, but I was reading this, and at every point to, up to here, I'd been like, "You wouldn't last thirty seconds in Westeros." You, you, this is you. You are gonna get taken for a ride. <laughs> you need to be a lot more Walder Frey about this. And um, but give him his credit. At this point, he's clearly read at least up to whatever it is. Uh, uh, Dance with no Storm of Swords. Whichever one the red the red weddings in. Storm of Swords. He's clearly yeah. read. Yeah, clearly read up to that bit at the very least because he knows no weapons in the room. All right, <laughs> sure. otherwise this is gonna get gothic. <laughs> Yeah, so they're all running around having a having a whale of a time, terrifying everybody. They end up in the middle of the room, and Hot Frog runs the chain that that's connecting them all through the um, through the chain where the chandelier used to hang. Um, this is this this Matt. This is where the fiddler in the corner starts slowly playing the castanier, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. At that moment, and they must be hammered as well. These orangutan potentates. <laughs> <laughs> Because yeah. at that point, if they're not hammered, they're like, yeah, getting out of this costume double quick. Thanks very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because what happens is they're all in the centre. He throws the chain through the chandelier chain. And then his accomplice, which we, we later find out is Trippetta, who must also have the, the forearms of, uh, of a bodybuilder, um, because she, <laughs> she pulls the chain and lifts all eight of them into the air. And um, yeah. So yeah, so she must be even stronger than Hot Frog because he he ends up jumping on the chain as well. So she can she she's strong enough to lift basically the weight of eight no, eight fat men and Hot Frog, um, eight, eight fat broad comedy uh, knob knob gag enthusiasts yeah. and Hot Frog up in the air. Well, I suppose it might, um, might there might be some kind of pulley system that allow because the chandelier I assume is extremely heavy yeah. and you can lift that. So maybe I'm... almost certainly there will be 
but I do quite like the idea of them not being that technologically advanced. <laughs> and Trippetta, as well as being stunningly beautiful, is also an absolute badass. That really, that does please me, because it reminds me of that thing about um, uh, Ginger Rogers. She was in all them dancing films with Fred Astaire. Yeah. And... Um, uh, and everybody said, you know, Fred Astaire is the greatest dancer of his generation. And they were right. He was the greatest male dancer of his generation. Ginger Rogers, towards the end of her life, commented on that. She was like, yeah, he was. He was a superstar. He was amazing. But remember, I did everything he did backwards and in heels. <laughs> <laughs> and I just there's a little bit of Ginger Rogers about Trippetta at this point. I appreciate that. Yeah. So um, the uh, you're right. The king must be wrecked because him and his advisors are, are loving this still. They're laughing, laughing along as they get uh, pulled together and then lifted off the ground. And um, Hopfrog sort of jumps his way over and leaps onto the rising um, the rising group of orangutans. He's, he's holding one of the torches now and he's shouting, "I'll get a closer look and figure out who they are." And uh, the king and his advisors are laughing along. It's all a massive joke. And then. <laughs> As, as the as the chain rises further, everything goes a bit quieter, and again you hear the grating as uh, as he's as he's looking down, and his his face now hot frogs he describes as having maniacal rage on his features, and he, he shouts, "Ah, yes, I begin to see who who these people are," and suddenly he drops the torch onto them, and. Woof, all of them go up in flames. He checks a turn, doesn't it? He does. Like, I love Poe as well. Doesn't spend his time really building up to it. He doesn't do the George Martin thing of like, and the, you know, the torches flickered ominously on the walls. Somebody looked sideways to get a little bit het up about it for 500 words. No, 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 no. He goes straight from, the king was loving it. The king was on fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And there's no sort of no description of the reaction from the audience. We must just assume that everyone just starts going mental, like and screaming when this happens. Yeah. Um, and he uh, he he climbs further up the chain, Hot Frog, because the heat is so much. Um, as these guys are burning to death below him, and he shouts, he makes it ab- abundantly clear why he's done this. He says, uh, "You know, he, he know he sees clearly who these people are. They're the king and his seven privy councillors, a king who does not scruple to strike a defenceless girl, and his seven councillors who abet him in the outrage." And then um, the, his final line, which is great, um, he says, "As for myself, I'm simply Hop Frog the Jester." And this is my last jest as he climbs up the chain and leaps out of the skylight to freedom. Drops Mike, <laughs> leaves kingdom. <laughs> this should be called the mic drop to end all the mic, mic drops. That's isn't amazing. It? That's amazing. Ye oldie Mikey droppy is what it should be called. Jeez, uh, fucking hell. Like, what? I mean,. Again, like as we're reading with Treasure Island, there are some times when you encounter reading books that are older than 100 or so years old where these things that have now become narrative cliches re- re- reacquire all of their sort of power because yeah. they, they previously haven't been done very often. And the evil genius explains his dastardly plan trope is executed here to an absolute perfection and i love that he could carry on and could just be like oh look i'm a particularly harsh bastard and i've burned alive these mummers that we hired to go inside these tar suits no 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 he makes sure everybody knows what his name is and who he's just turned into charcoal and he's <laughs> yeah shuddersome 
And he, he escapes quite happily to freedom as well. And that's the end of the story. Him and uh, Tripetta run away together. And, happy um, ending. Yeah. Sort of happy ending. <laughs> not for the king. but <laughs> Yeah, not, not for the king. And, I, and while I hesitate to throw stones at an Edgar Allan Poe denouement, if only because he might come and haunt me, um, I, I do note that it does require quite a lot of synchronised silence in an environment that <laughs> yeah. you wouldn't otherwise expect things to go quiet. And first of all, things need to go quiet enough in the room for everybody to hear him grinding his teeth together. <laughs> you know, a, a, a possibility which I question, unless he's got like hollow metal teeth or something. <laughs> unless he's Jaws from that James Bond film. Yeah. Could be that, I suppose. Anyway, so he's doing that. Uh, I'll give it a 4 out of 10 for plausibility. You know, the whole room falls quiet long enough for us to get a foreboding sound in before it all kicks off. <laughs> But I'll tell you what definitely hasn't happened, and this is where Game of Thrones absolutely grabs my imagination by the balls and refuses to let go. There's no way you've just set eight senior ministers and a king on, seven senior ministers and a king on fire, and on fire, and they're hanging below you, and they're all quiet enough for everybody in the room to hear your explanation blow by blow of why this is a just thing to have done. No way, I'm not having it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. And this is my. <laughs> Just shut up, will you? This is, I'm a I'm a jester. I don't get to talk publicly very often. You yeah. be quiet. This is my moment. My moment. <laughs> Thank is, you. Anyway, as I was saying, looking at his claim to the change of freedom, he's thinking, oh should have should have done the speech before I set him on fire. Should have done the speech. Before. <laughs> That's right. They were all quiet. They'd have been perfect. <laughs> yeah, but I had to grind the teeth, didn't I? Had to get the old the old disembodied omen in there. Oh, oh, hop frog. When will you learn? Anyway, <laughs> ne- next kingdom along. Here we go, Trippetta. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So that is the that is the end of uh, of hop frog. Apparently, um, according to Wikipedia, I have no reason to doubt. Um, Edgar Allan Poe is believed he wrote this about someone who was spreading nasty rumours about him and some other women and he's like it's basically the king really? is this woman who was spreading these nasty rumours and the seven courtiers or seven mates who were all laughing along um, so it was Fucking his hell. bit of revenge Edgar ye gods my, oh, yeah. so that, that whole thing about painting the king as a misogynist bastard was absolutely a false flag I think so like, well I I couldn't possibly be throwing shade at an ex-girlfriend of mine. Look how feminist I am, basically, is what's going on there, right? There's, in, there's also an interesting um, little touch with the, you know, hot frog hates wine, and um, and, he, and the king makes him drink it. There's, the, yeah. there's a little sort of touch there as well, because apparently Edgar Allan Poe hate, like, could, could get dr- got drunk off, like, half a glass of wine, so he hated it. But <laughs> he often, when they were at, people were out, they'd make him drink, and he hated it, so... His little touches of himself in the story, which is quite nice. Yeah. yeah. It's time. I mean, actually, firstly, Dave, give me your overall impressions on the short story. What did you make of Hot Frog? Brilliant. Yeah, really, really liked it. Again, it's a classic. So you sort of, you know, my, my you know, smart ass genre bludgeoning really is a bit pointless here because it's, it's a classic for a reason. You know, Edgar Allan mm-hmm. Poe is one of the great writers of American literature um, for a reason. Um, and it's great. There's not an ounce of fat on it. Um, and I also thought it was a bit, the characterization was a bit better than the one we did before, the Mask of the Red Death, mm. where it's basically there's a bastard king because he needs to deserve it. But then after that, everybody's just a twat. Mm. And then 
and death move amongst them. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, yeah, how yeah. on earth they turn into a film, I do not know. Um, <laughs> I imagine by adding characters, for sure. Whereas this actually does have, you know, it's driven by the injustice of the behaviour of a king and, and, the, and the object of that injustice getting its revenge. Hmm. And so that's that I really liked. I thought it was, yeah, it was great. And, and you know... I, as every year, I have to say, like, we do Halloween stories because Matt's a big horror aficionado and I've never read it before in my life. <laughs> and so, actually, it's quite nice to be to go through the classics in this way. You know, Poe, King, Goosebumps. And, um, <laughs> and they've all been crackers so far. So, um, so yeah, this is, this is another one to add to the pile. Excellent. Um, well, let's, uh, as ever... I've scoured the internet for some reviews because <clears throat> obviously no one listening knew we were doing this until we did it, um, such is our lack of forward planning. So um, <laughs> I've had to rely on the good people of the wider internet who never let us down, let's be honest. Never, um, Matt, not, without fail, they no. are on board. Um, so I have a, a selection of reviews. Normally I try and um, get a few mid-range ones and then the majority five or five stars or one stars because I like the sort of extremes. But... Um, <laughs> Because this is the internet, and nobody goes to the internet for moderation and balance. <laughs> except, except for reviewing Hop Frog, it turns out. Very few five stars, very few one stars. So oh, we've got really? a, Yeah, we've got a nice selection of sort Ooh. of mostly fours, one or two sort of twos as well. Um, yeah. Let me take you through them and give me your thoughts on them. So Madeline gave it four stars, and she said, An excellent example of Poe being dark as fuck, but amusing at the same time. So if you like the, if you like the Amusing. comedy, mm. I suppose the start comedy it, there, there is at the start, isn't there? But it gets dark pretty quickly, and then yeah, the comedy ends. I'm not sure I'd characterise anything that happens at the beginning as comedy. I think the king thinks it's funny, but oh, that's yeah. not the same thing at all. I mean, the way he writes, so the sort of thing talking about how he has this, his humour's very much related to breadth. I just, king. No, you the are right. The way he yeah, puts yeah, in, yeah. And, and the oh, hop frog wasn't his birth name; it was the king. You know, he, he, yeah, it's yeah. written in a way to sort of for you to laugh at the king, if you like, rather than at the jester. You are, you know what? That's completely fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. I think that's quite interesting as well how he gets you to laugh at the. There is there is a there is a figure there who um, you know the story is almost telling you to laugh at, but the one you're yeah. actually supposed to laugh at is the is the opposite. Um, yeah. Emily gave it four stars. She says what initially seemed to be a classic amusing story about a jester in a capricious king's court swiftly turns into a tale of gruesome revenge as Hopfrog turns the tables on his former master after finally having enough of his tormenting, riveting and beautifully written. She was a big fan. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I'm not sure I call it beautifully written, but then I don't, I, I don't know. I don't like. I, it wasn't for me. The point of it wasn't the prose. It was very, mm. very, very simple though. So fair enough. Like I mean, if you're into that Hemingway, you know, you know, the the point of the words is to get out of the way type thing. Yeah. Then um, oh, I could see that, but it's not exactly a masterpiece of prose. Kind of florid prose, is it? You know, the flames licked higher and higher against the face of the dwarf. No, none of that. The king died. The end. <laughs> uh, Devon gave it three stars. Uh, he was a little troubled by the way this ended. He says, um, "It seemed it seemed an extreme revenge." However, for the king, no, I'm going. His, his, his grammar's not great, so I'm going to blame Devon for the way this. <laughs> it seemed an extreme. <laughs> there shouldn't be a comma there. It seemed an extreme. It seemed an extreme revenge, however, for the king's crimes against the dwarf. But I am a pacifist, so what do I know? 
So I suppose. Uh, I don't think you have to be a pacifist to find uh, setting yeah, fire eight yeah. people. <laughs> Bloody hell. Also, I'm not sure necessarily bringing a pacifist ethic of life to a gothic work of literature is the way to have an enjoyable evening. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, 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 I too disavow violence, but I can still read, you know, Game of Thrones without tearing my hair out. Maybe, maybe I'm not, not, not as good at it as I think I am. But Yeah. Um, Alex gave it four stars. I would like to get your thoughts on this one. Alex says, A gruesome tale of revenge. At a certain point, you see the ending coming, which makes it all the more horrifying. And yet, you can't mm. help but feel that the king and his ministers had it coming, and Hopfrog is the hero of the story. Would you say Hopfrog's the hero? Ooh, oh, I think. I don't know, my limited experience with this sort of literature, I think looking for a hero is looking for the wrong thing. <laughs> I think th- the point is somebody's going to come out of it well and you hope it's the underdog. But I wouldn't say that what he does is necessarily heroic. What he does is psychopathic, even though it may be it may be justified in the world of the story. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I, I certainly, I wouldn't put him on my, you know, list of top 10 literary uh, role models but mm. then again he is a protagonist so yeah. you know could be Adam gave it two stars and he says I cheered for the lad but it's not that great a revenge what what, what do you want to do like what I really want I really want part two to that comment yeah I know what yeah, that's would have thing. been a yeah. good revenge <laughs> I'd love to have known what he'd have liked to have seen instead yeah yeah. Like, as, yeah, he watches, or, or, <laughs> as he watches the eight corpses burning to death, he's thinking, not that good a revenge, though, is it? Is it <laughs> <laughs> as a revenge, I give it a solid three on ten. Uh, he was burned to a crisp, but only died once. Like, what else do you want? Like, I mean, I, I mean, literature is awash with examples of more gruesome deaths, I suppose, but this is still pretty fucking bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, uh, the the fantastically named Ebster Davis gave it four stars. Um, and, and I agree just for the name alone. <laughs> and Ebster, Ebster sort of puts some words in Hopfrog's mouth, which I thought was really funny. He says, uh, you can almost see Hopfrog snap when Trippetta, when Trippetta gets hit. It's like he mm. says, oh, I'm coming for you and all your friends. <laughs> that... Um- uh, I mean, it's a ballsy reviewer that decides to add something to Edgar Allan Poe's writing, isn't it? Like, like, I mean, it really, like as we've said of other books, you know, six foot four and not an ounce of fat, and um, and add a bit of marble in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> Ebster finishes. Read it when you're angry. It's nice. <laughs> I'm a little worried about it. <laughs> Gee, ye gods. I I think what I would probably do is uh, avoid Ebster. <laughs> I think Read that. it when you're angry. It feels good. It feels good. <laughs> Does it, Ebster? That's great. That's great, mate. <laughs> Cheers. That line Cheers. may have just earned, earned him a place on a watch list. I don't think it's going to be too <laughs> hard to find him with a name like that. <laughs> yeah, as well. I'm in this small town looking for somebody called Ebster. No, no, Ebster Smith. Probably, no, no. Ebster Jones, no. Ebster Davies, yes, the third Ebster. Yes, Ebster that's the Davies. one I'm looking for. Um, my final review is a, the, the one five-star I found by, a guy, by someone called August. 
and I just liked their um, is it, is it, the, the review is actually it could be the sort of the, the, the tagline that you see beneath the title um, on the film poster um, the, the one line review of Edgar Allan Poe's Hot Frog um, by August five stars is revenge is a dish best served flaming hot Oh! <laughs> I could I could totally see that on the poster. This oh, like, you can, can't you? <laughs> and it, it would be just give, give the entire plot away, but <laughs> it, yeah, it does. But that's that's why it's brilliant. That's the sort of that is nineteen seventies era. You can see the poster, you know, sort of spooky castle, angry looking jester, wankerish looking king. <laughs> Angry Jester holding a match. Tells you everything you need to know. Date night yeah. movie. You already know what the film is. Just go and watch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Maybe that not is... on a date. Actually, not on a date. That's a terrible idea. Don't take that as dating advice. That, yeah. Do not do that. Take your trippetta along or your hot frog, depending on who you are. Oh, depending... oh, that would be awful, wouldn't it? Can you imagine actually doing it as a date movie and then leaning over at the end and going, You're my trippetta. <laughs> Thumbs up. You're my little hot frog. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. You're my little hot frog. Where are you going? Please, please, <laughs> please don't leave. Don't call the police. I'm safe. Yeah, anyway, we've, we've got our Halloween costumes sorted now, though, Dave. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, do you want to be Trippetta or Hot Frog? I'll be Trippetta. Or an orangutan. <laughs> I'll be an orangutan. We just need to get six other sharklets involved and we can yeah, do it. That's, that's exactly <laughs> what we need. No, what we need to do is go to a fancy dress party dressed up as orangutans a la hop frog. And then when everybody goes, Dave, why are you covered in tar? Why have you got bits of flax stuck to you? You go, I'm an orangutan. And one out of 150 people will go, oh, Poe, oh, how interesting, classic, love it. Everybody yeah. else will go, why does it smell of poorly combusted hydrocarbons in this room? And why has Dave got grass stuck to his ass with black paint? This is... I'm leaving. This is awful. This is the worst Halloween party I've ever seen. I'm off. It's a, if they still didn't get it, just make sure you wear a fire retardant co- <laughs> suit and then just set yourself on fire at the end. <laughs> what, a, what an entrance. What an exit. Yeah, yeah. what an exit, exactly. Although in most, most of the rooms I've been in parties in, I think you'd be hard-pressed to get hauled off towards the ceiling. You know? Yeah. Uh, good thing. Good thing. Obviously. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to hear Hop Frog's teeth grinding over the sound of the smoke alarm as well. So <laughs> that's true. That's true. Between that and uh, the the classic um, uh, Halloween playlist featuring you know uh, Thriller and Ghostbusters and <laughs> Werewolf Bar Mitzvah from Thirty Rock and the Monster Mash. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, that is um, that brings our Halloween spooky special to a close. Thanks very much for listening. If you're going out trick or treating tonight, be careful out there, and make sure you get yourself a good haul of sweets. Um, and if you're not, then bar the doors because things can get hairy out there. It's going to get hairy. <laughs> they're going to get flaxen, Matt. Is what they're going to get. Yeah, um, but yeah, thank you very much, and uh, we will we'll be back next week with um, the uh, penultimate chapter or the penultimate part of our read through of Treasure Island. Until then, Dave, um, Until then, enjoy man. your enjoy your spooky Halloween. Ooh.